welcome back to the Chasing Truth podcast. I'm Presley. And I'm Grace. And we are so excited for you guys to hear the interview that we just recorded. Uh, We're going to be talking about New Age with Marsha Montenegro. She actually, you know, fully... She was a professional astrologist Mm -hmm. for a lot of her life, and she really bought in and lived up to this worldview and then um, found Jesus afterwards. So we're going to be asking her a lot of questions on, you know, what really even is new age and what Mm -hmm. all does it encompass? Yeah, because her her profession in astrology led into her into the new age, which which she was a part of for over 20 years, I think she said. So, yeah, she was on a lot of boards for astrology. She taught astrology. She did a lot of, um, you know, zodiac sign science, that kind of stuff. But today we're just going to be talking about, you know, what is new age? What are the doctrines of the worldview and how have they infiltrated one, our culture, two, our politics and three, also our churches. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be a really great. um, There's so much information. I'm so excited for you guys to learn so much. I learned a ton. um, But Yeah. yeah, hang tight honestly, like overwhelmed by the knowledge that Mm -hmm. she brought to the table. Yeah, I agree. And then for further resource again, Marsha, she has a ministry called Christian Answers for the New Age. And she's also written several books that we will talk about later at the end of the episode, but those will just be more resources for you. Um, I'm like, if you're like me, you'll have more questions after the episode than you will now. So, um, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, last week we talked, um, with Haley Williams from the Kindled pod podcast about the Enneagram. This is more of the, uh, worldview behind the Enneagram. So that's a little bit more of what the new age will be referring to. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Here is Marsha. Marsha, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm just delighted to be with you ladies. We are so glad that you are here. Yes, thank you. So I think before we get into your story and kind of your background of how you got into the New Age, could you define the term New Age for our listeners who might not be aware of what is all, what's all encompassed in that term? Sure. Yes. And the new age is a term that seems sort of passe. It's not used as much anymore. And a lot of people think it has faded away and they tend to associate it with the 60s and the 70s and the hippies or something. It really had nothing to do with the hippies. But anyway, that's another story. Um, So the new age, however, the reason that people don't hear the term and they think it's faded away is because it's actually mainstreamed. That's the problem. But the way that I define the New Age is that it's a network of beliefs that draws from three main sources. The first source is Gnosticism. I'm going to name them and I'm going to say something about each one. Okay. Um, And the second source is Eastern religions. And the third source is New Thought. Okay. Now, Eastern religions may be the only thing that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, Gnosticism, it goes back really to the early church. I mean, it didn't start in the early church, but the time of it. Um, the early form of Gnosticism actually was getting into the church, and, and there are actually parts of the New Testament that address it. Uh, First John addresses it. Colossians addresses it. Um, It's addressed, I think, it's addressed somewhere else. I can't remember right now, but it is addressed in at least three or four places. And Gnosticism actually didn't fully bloom until the second century. And then you had the Gnostic Gospels came out. Um, But in the early, earlier part, it was a mixture of, of Gnostic beliefs with some Jewish mythology and other kinds of 
pagan ideas. Okay. Uh, but one of the main ideas was that spirit is good and matter is evil. Mm-hmm. Because they believed that um, the way the world came to be, well, first they believed that everybody had been a spirit um, and at one time, but became, had was given a body and became flesh, you know, then you had a body and they got trapped in the body and forgot they were spirits. And this is because of a bad God called the Demiurge. And this is really a very simplified explanation (laughs) because it's more complicated and there's different forms of Gnosticism, but this is kind of the main idea. Mm -hmm. And so they made a separation between spirit and matter. And they said that matter was evil because it was made by this Demiurge creature. And we had to remember we were spirits and we had to we have to know know how to get back to being a spirit through these secret teachings. Okay. And that actually came later, but that was the general idea. So what they taught, and the Gnostics were infiltrating the churches and they were saying Jesus was not in a real physical body. He was actually, um, you know, he appeared to have a body, but he didn't have a body because he couldn't be divine if he had a body because bodies are evil. So this this was the idea. And actually in first, I think it's first John um, four, the first four verses, first four or five verses say it's either first John one or first John four say what we have seen, what we have touched, what we have heard. And it's, he repeats that like, again, what we have seen, what we have touched, what we've heard is the word of life. And what he's saying there, he's refuting Gnosticism, yeah. saying we have seen in the word of life, he's referring to Jesus. Mm-hmm. We have seen him, we have heard him, we have touched him. In other words, he he, he has a body. Yeah. He really is real. He's he's physical. He's, you know, blood and flesh. Huh. So um, there's that was a very strong refutation of those early Gnostic teachings there in first John. Mm-hmm. So that's in the new age because the new age believes that spiritual things and spirit is superior to physical okay. things. The physical world is just a manifestation of the spiritual world. Okay. Your body is a manifestation of your spirit. Mm-hmm. So they believe they're very big into health and they're very big into the and in taking care of the body. But that's because it's, it's manifestation of your spirit. Mm-hmm. And the fit and new age healing is all about treating the subtle or invisible body because you can't be healed just by treating the physical body because it's reflecting your, you know, your spirit or your spiritual body, which has to be treated. Mm-hmm. This is what a lot of people don't understand when they get into the new age healing. You know, this is their, their worldview. This is their worldview they're coming from. Yeah. So there's a, there's Gnostic elements, very strong Gnostic elements. They'll say things like we're spirits having a human experience or we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Um, that's a very Gnostic idea. Okay. okay. So then moving on <laughs> to Eastern, yeah. Eastern religion. It's good to have and, these ideas yeah. to put our thoughts on, you know, just to kind of collect yeah. everything. And I yeah. could see the comparison. I know you're going to talk about more of the Eastern um, elements that combine into the New Age ideology. But that, from what you just described as Gnosticism, is very, very similar to what I my knowledge is of Hinduism and Buddhism mm-hmm. and all that, too. So mm-hmm. I can see I can see how those can play off each other. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, actually, there are strong similarities. And at a conference once, I heard a um, speaker whose talk 
what his talk was based on his view that Gnosticism actually came from the East. It came mm-hmm. from the Eastern religions, which already existed. You know, Hinduism yeah. and, and actually Buddhism was, um, well, it had just gotten started as far as the writings go, but it had existed before. But yeah, Hinduism had been around and yeah. he thinks that Gnosticism came from that. Okay. That through the sense. trade routes and everything and into yeah. the Middle East, mm-hmm. which is a very interesting idea. So the Eastern religions, the main Eastern religions that the New Age draws from are Hinduism is a big one, mm-hmm. Buddhism and Taoism, which awesome. is China. Yep. Um, and started in, in about eighth century BC. And it was really shamanism, which is shamanism is it has to do with with spirit contact, the shaman is somebody who is the intermediary between his people and the spirit world. And so the shaman is the healer because he can contact the spirit world for healing or he can get information on on how to heal you. Um, So this is what we used to call the witch doctor. But Mm. that's that that term is uh, politically incorrect. So we don't don't use that anymore. So now it's really but really it's shaman is probably the more proper term. Mm. Um, So um, the Eastern religions what they have in common, Taoism, Buddhism, and Hinduism, is that the reality that you see, that you perceive, is not reality. Mm. So in in Hinduism, in non-dual Hinduism, non-dual means no distinctions, um, everything that you see is really just an illusion. Mm-hmm. And you're, you, within you... Um, when you go beyond your personality and your mind, you have the Atman, A-T-M-A-N, which is the divine self. Hmm. And so a lot of the meditation and everything is done to realize that, to come okay. to that realization. And that's where true reality is found, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and you, and you, yes. Yeah. That's the search for the true nature of reality. That's what hmm. the Eastern religions are about. That's their goal. It's not what is right and wrong or who is God. It's what is the true nature of reality. Hmm. Um, and then um, Taoism doesn't even have a God, neither does Buddhism. And Taoism started from shamanism, and there were a lot of different teachings along the way. I read a very good book that gave a history of it, which was very interesting, by a woman who is a Taoist. So hmm. um, <laughs> she, she really knew what she was talking about. <laughs> And um, it developed, you know, over centuries, but it was all about this universal energy, chi or ki, and um, how you manipulate that. You can manipulate it to have a longer life. You can manipulate it for health. Um, It also, it flows in the universe and it flows in the body. This is what acupuncture is based on. Mm, Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. It's based on Taoism. It's based on the belief that if you're sick or have pain, there's a blockage of chi in your body and it needs to be unblocked. And that's what the needles are for. If the chi is blocked, then the yin and yang, which is another part of Taoism, are, Mm -hmm. are not balanced. So it's always about balance because they believed in three levels. There's... The earth with man on it, earth and the man, and then heaven. So there's these three levels, and they should be in harmony all the time. The chi mm-hmm. should be flowing freely through all three levels. The yin-yang should be balanced on all three levels. So it's all about finding this balance and flow of chi. And then there's good chi and bad chi. 
So that's what feng shui is about. It's um, fixing things and decorating in your house so that you can avoid the bad chi and attract good chi. Okay. That's what feng shui is. Yeah. So that's what Taoism is. And there is no God there either. Well, not I shouldn't say either. There's no God there. Uh, But they are into... um, they are into a lot of practices that are kind of based on on almost like occult views, you know, um, doing things to get good fortune mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> and doing things to have good health. They were very health oriented. And they actually went through a time there where they actually believed ingesting certain metals would make you healthy (laughs) and they killed they killed some emperor or something when he had they gave him some metal i forgot what they gave him and he died (laughs) well that's not surprising (laughs) i know (laughs) because they you know they had these ideas about what the metals were that were not accurate and they thought it would prolong life so okay yeah there's it's a very jumbled history it's very jumbled and they would have different leaders in Taoism who would come along and have their own teachings. So there would be Hmm. different schools of Taoism. It really, that's the way it is in Hinduism too, because you have different gurus Hmm. and you have different lineages in Hinduism of, of tea and different types of Hinduism. It's not one religion. Okay. Um, So then we move on to Buddhism and Buddhism actually came from India and uh, Buddha, who's actually a sort of a historical figure because nobody, there's no history for anybody named mm. Buddha. There's a speculation on it with somebody named Gautama Siddhartha, I think. Yeah, uh, yep, I do remember learning that. Yeah. yeah. We had to learn about it in school. This is what we learn about in the public oh, education you- system. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so, um, but you know, it's not very historical. We don't really know that much about it. Okay. But they're all the, and all the teachings, the teachings were not written down until about 29 AD, hmm. although Buddha supposedly lived around 500 BC, maybe hmm. up closer to 300, but still his, his teachings weren't written down to later. So we don't even know if he really said those things. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, but, but Buddha supposedly was trying to reform Hinduism. He thought Hinduism had become too clunky. And, you know, there was all these things you had to do. You had to meditate or you had to fast or, you you know, you had to uh, sit there and meditate for four days or 10 days or whatever. He thought this was all, you know, he tried that supposedly. And then he said, that's not the way to learn truth. And so he came upon the way to learn truth when he sat under that Bodhi tree and he was supposedly enlightened. Mm-hmm. And so his way was the four steps, the four noble steps. And basically all life is suffering, but there is a solution to suffering. So the solution is you have to detach yourself from this reality, which is not real, because if you're attached to it, you're going to keep having rebirth. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to get away from this rebirth is to cultivate detachment. And that's what Buddhist meditation is supposed to do. Okay. So that's the idea. And so they're very much into looking for the true nature of reality in Buddhism. And I, I was into Zen Buddhism for um, at least 12 years. I did, I did mindfulness. I did the Buddhist meditation for 12 years. 
So I was really into it. I was reading Buddhist stories and Buddhist texts, and I was going to these little places where the they they um, do Zen Buddhist meditation. You know, all Westerners. You know, there wasn't anybody there who was Asian. It was all it was yeah. all Westerners who were into Buddhism. You know, um, interesting. So that's the the purpose of mindfulness is to cultivate detachment because if the okay now the hindus have that divine self the atman buddhists don't believe there's a self mm-hmm. there is no self in buddhism they call it the conventional self it's a self that you think you have it's the illusion of a self okay so that has to go too so first you, when you do the meditation if you do it right and you do it every day you begin to see that your thoughts you see your thoughts and so then you're supposed to realize those are not your thoughts and they're not you because you're mm-hmm. seeing them so it's like oh they're just out there like clouds that's not really me and then you eventually supposed to realize that yourself isn't you either there's no self there that you you are the witness watching all this so kind of saying there's really no such thing as reality as a whole. Wow. Yeah, in a way, there's there's only one reality, and that's Buddha nature or Buddha mind. That's okay. all that exists. And the witness is kind of like the Buddha mind. It's kind of like you when you've realized that you have kind of you have I don't know if you've become that, but you realize that there's only one reality. Okay. So would this be where new age kind of pulls the idea that everything is subjective and based on experience? I think that it comes from a lot of, I think it partly comes from the Eastern religions. Yes. Uh And it, it comes from just the fact that the new age worldview doesn't really believe in objective truth. Mm. Yeah. So if you don't believe in objective truth or if you don't believe in absolutes, which they don't. Yeah. Then, then you, you know, then you, um, then everything is relative or subjective. You know, Mm -hmm. there is no absolute. So anything can be true. Which is, which is just so sad because when you're choosing to put, you know, the future of your eternal soul in the hands of a belief or an ideology, wouldn't you want to know that it is, you know, non-contradictory and that it is the truth because Mm -hmm. that's your, that's the future, your eternal future. Well, yeah, you're saying that because you're thinking logically like a Christian. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. So I think <laughs> I when think, you're in your, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I think this go is ahead. significant to segue into, okay, we've explained these, what new age is, kind of the thought processes behind it. How has this and how have these ideologies infiltrated Christianity? How do we mm-hmm. see this yeah. in okay. the church today? Because I think a lot of you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, Gnosticism, this just goes right over the head of people. And they're like, well, I'm yeah. not involved in that. Yeah. I, you yeah, know, I hardly true. know what that is. But what are some some phrases, some mantras that have infiltrated the church and and people have clung to that they might not even realize come from the new age? Right. Yeah. Well, I mentioned one mindfulness, yeah. which is big in the culture. There are some Christian websites that 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 promote Christian mindfulness. Um how many Christians are really into that, I'm not sure, although I have seen some Christians promote it. What they do is they try to make it sound Christian, but you but you yeah. can't because the goal of mindfulness is to cultivate detachment and realize you don't have a self. You yeah. you just can't turn that into something Christian. Well they try to say, you know, what the culture tries to do is tries to sell it as a a um, stress reducer. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something to reduce stress. This will help you when you feel overwhelmed or, you know, you feel 
just distracted, you know, then you can just do this mindfulness and then you get more centered and you get calm. But see, if you if you are doing really doing mindfulness and you keep doing it, it alters your worldview. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's it's yeah. dangerous. Well, this yeah. that that reminds me a lot of um, mindfulness was a practice I was actually required to do in an English class in my public school system. Yes, it got in into high school, school. Yep. and it infiltrated through. Um, we were learning about transcendentalism of finding finding God in nature, and it it was very you know oh. they tried to teach yeah. it as Christianity you know finding God in nature. Yes, nature was created by God, but they started incorporating all of these mindfulness tactics and leaving reality and just completely like leaving family, leaving home, no mm-hmm. money. And you end up having dead people in the woods because they think that they can, they think that they'll find God by just abandoning all physical things and just going out into the woods. So that's, that's interesting of how it's infiltrated the public school through English classes, teaching transcendentalism. I would like to do more research on that actually. Yeah, I did. Um, I started warning about mindfulness on Facebook in 2011. Hmm. Okay. And I was warning about because I was seeing it come into the culture and warning about it and warning here again. You know, I, I start warning about things early before a lot of people hear about them. So I don't get any response. <laughs> it's very frustrating. It's like, oh, you need to know about this. You need, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. for a long yeah. time, you know, nobody, hardly anybody would comment or anything, except I guess people who felt sorry for me. Aww. And finally, you know, I think people started hearing about it. Yes. And they're yeah. like, you know what? This, this guy, my supervisor at work, because they're going to have a speaker come in and talk about mindfulness, mm-hmm. you know, and I remember you had, uh, you had something on that, you know, now I need to know about it. Then, yeah. of course, it started big push into the schools. And there were yeah. several organizations yeah. and people pushing that. Yeah. And then I started really warning on that. Then people started getting more concerned because it was going into the schools. Mm-hmm. The parents were very worried and it just went in big time. I mean, I went mm-hmm. to a meeting out here at a high school here where they were had a speaker and this main speaker was a woman who runs a Buddhist meditation center in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, I knew about her. And so I went and heard her and then they had... um. I can't remember his name. He's a representative. I don't know if he's still in Congress or not, but he became a devoted follower of mindfulness and wrote a book on it. I think it's called, um, is it, it, I could be wrong about the title, so maybe I shouldn't say it. And I, and I can't think of his name. So that's real helpful. (laughs) 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 I'm trying to think maybe his his book was, um, it has mindfulness in the title. So I thought maybe nation under mindfulness, but I could be wrong. I'm not sure that's the title. Um, and he was pushing it. He was from Ohio. I think he was pushing it in his school districts that he was from and it, mm. and it got in. Yeah. But anyway, um, I didn't get to new thought though. I need to get to oh, new yeah, thought. Yeah. New yes. Thought really yes. <laughs> the most. Um, new thought was a movement that was started in the 1800s and it goes back to a man named Swedenborg who's back in a previous century, like the 18th century, but it goes back to his ideas and new thought is the idea that here again, reality, as we see it, is not really reality. Hmm. And we're all from God. Nobody's separated from God. Hmm. Um, you're, you're deceived if you think you're separated from God. Now, God, though, it's not really personal. God is more of a principle. Hmm. And they will talk about Jesus. They actually, the New Thought um, movement called themselves Christian. 
And so they used the Bible and they talked about Jesus. And they said, Jesus came to teach us how to change our perception of reality. Mm. And then they take what Jesus said. And of course, they put in their own meaning. Twist it. Yeah. And there's a man who did this, um, especially named Emmett Fox. He wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount, which I've, I've read through. And he wrote a 365-day devotional. Um, and he wrote a number of books. And I have found his books on Christian websites. Hmm. Wow, uh, that's concerning. Yeah, because they 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 seem to be Christian, and they call themselves Christian. Now, the New Thought was a movement, so there were a lot of different teachers and stuff, but it, it eventually coalesced into three churches, um, the Christian Science Church, mm, the mm-hmm. Unity, Unity School of Christianity, which is now just called Unity, okay, and the Church of Religious Science, which has changed its name to Centers for Spiritual Living. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay, so very interesting. Yeah, and they all claim to be Christian. If okay. you go to Unity, especially, and I went to Unity Church, or Unity Church for a while when I was in the New Age. Um, you know, it's like a church, and you get up and you sing. I can't remember the songs that we sang, but we you sing, and um, they sing the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And you have a minister who comes up and preaches. So it's very, it, this is an appearance of Christianity. Um, and then they'll talk about Jesus, you know. So if, you, if you're a little confused and you don't really know too much about the Bible, you actually could think this was Christian. And a lot of people think it is. Hmm. But they believe Jesus was a man who realized his innate divinity which we all have. And when he realized that, he achieved Christ consciousness. Christ consciousness is a word that's very big in the New Age because the New Age adopted a lot of New Thought ideas. Now, the New Thought movement still exists, but it is is distinct from the New Age. They're two separate things. But because the New Age took so much from New Thought, there's a lot of overlap. Okay. And a lot of people overlap them. Like there's people that I call new thought, new agers. Mm-hmm. They're new agers, but they're really heavy on the new thought ideas. That's their okay. like the main okay. outlook. So it can be very confusing because of this. So you've got the Eastern religions, you've got the Gnosticism, which is the Gnostic stuff is really very core to new age. Yeah. And then some new agers are into the Eastern ideas and the new age is influenced by it. And then you have the new thought. So you have like this really mixed bag and that doesn't even yeah. count yeah. other things out there that are also <laughs> the new age. But yeah. those are three but- major components. Mm-hmm. And I know we were talking before the program about theosophy and mm-hmm. theosophy did influence the new age, but theosophy had was based pretty much on Eastern spiritual ideas. Wow. Um, okay. Wow. Oh, I know. That's so, I, hope that's <laughs> I hope that's not confusing people. Well, I think it's just so evident of when you say new age, like you could be referring to so many different, different, different little branches of ideology. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think let's, I looked up a couple different doctrinal statements that was behind the worldview of new age. Um, And the two things that I found were evolutionary godhood and you and global unity. 
evolutionary godhood being the idea that all people are individually in themselves divine mm-hmm. and almost like gods. Would you care to comment on that? Is that accurate for when I talk about yes. that when you say new age? Yes, it is, because it, of course, goes back to the um, Eastern views, like the Hindus saying your inner self is divine. And Buddhism, even though you don't have a self, it's this one divine, you know, they wouldn't use the word divine, but, you know, Buddha mind, everything is Buddha mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, a new thought, Christ realized his supposed, you know, well, as a man, he was only a man and he had innate divinity. So everybody is supposed to come to that realization mm-hmm. that you have this innate, you know, inborn new, um, divinity. So yeah. all of that goes into the new age idea that we do have a divine nature because we mm-hmm. all come from God. We all go to God. And the evolutionary part is that um, this is very common in the new age that individuals and humanity are evolving. Hmm. So we are evolving, you know, since way, way back. And as time goes on, supposedly mankind is evolving to higher states of consciousness, which is how the New Agers would put it. Now, if you ask them what that means, you you know, you you might get a lot of different definitions because it's really, you know, higher. They always use the word higher, but there's Hmm. never any real clear meaning for that. Like, what do you mean by higher? Of course, it's supposed to mean better or superior but a higher state of consciousness means that you're getting closer to realizing the truth you know or what what you know you're you're getting away from illusion and you know the wrong views of reality and everything and you're getting to the truth through these higher states of consciousness so you're evolving individually usually through reincarnation dying and coming back and i did i was strong believer in reincarnation Mm. so you you know you die and you come back and of course that's from hinduism more than anything um so you're evolving and then humanity as a whole is evolving and, and that, that would be that would be the global unity part, right? I that I, that would fit into that. Yes, that we're all evolving towards right. eventually where mankind will be reach the stage of peace. There will be no more war. Um, you know, we'll be all working together. Yeah, and all using okay. our 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 abilities and powers. You know, we'll be healthy. There won't be anything wrong with us because we'll have achieved you know, ways to mm. have perfect health, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Sort of like a utopia. Yeah. Future. So aside yeah. from the, aside from the reincarnation part, this is very much what I see, you know, reflected in me culture mm. and also in progressivism where yeah. I myself am, you know, I need to focus on myself first. I need to f- serve myself first and, you know, it's okay to, you know, abort, children, because for my convenience, it's worth it. We talked about that in an episode a while back, but also in progressivism as where if where we think that our society is just evolving. And as we experience more things and as we, you know, as we fail at some things, we're just gradually getting better and we're achieving more unity mm-hmm. and working towards world peace. I see like this is just so reflected of how it's infiltrated our culture and our politics. I think that's so interesting. But um, something that I also got into when talking about the global unity, it says that it said um, that we will save our world and enter the age of Aquarius. Oh, yeah. What is what is that? (laughs) Okay. well, Aquarius is a zodiac sign. Okay. So, you know, it starts with Aries and it goes to Taurus, Gemini, Mm -hmm. you know, Cancer. Leo, Virgo, 
um, and it goes on up through all, all 12 signs. Aquarius is the next to last sign right before Pisces. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so astrologically speaking, Aquarius is a sign of um, individuals working for the common good. Uh, the group is above the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very humanitarian and idealistic oriented. Mm-hmm. It has to do with um, uh, advances in technology. Uh, and so now, interestingly enough, in the um, ages, when we say age of Aquarius, what this is, is that every 2000 years or so, the North Pole, because of the shift, there's a shift and, um, you know, natural shift geologically, and it points to a different constellation. It's, it moves to a different constellation. So, it, but it goes through the zodiac backwards, okay. not forwards. So it goes backwards instead of forwards. So the last age was age of Pisces, which in the chart is actually after Aquarius. But we're moving backwards. So they just make things more confusing on us. Yeah, exactly. But you <laughs> know, when, you're, when you're into the new age, when you're, I was a professional astrologer, and you, you can do this. You know, it's like you can wow. make something, even if it's contradictory, you can make it make sense. Well, of course. It's yeah, it's amazing the capacity to do that in the new wow. age. So it's okay. Oh, we're going backwards. That's okay. I can still see it as an evolution. You mm-hmm. know. So Pisces um, was ushered in by uh, Jesus. And he's often viewed as the avatar of the age of Pisces. Now, the avatar is a word that comes from Hinduism. The avatar is the appearances of the Hindu god Vishnu. And he would come in various forms, even as animal, like a turtle. Mm. It wasn't always as a person. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He would come at a time of crises to save mankind um okay, and that's yeah. where the app that's what the word avatar comes from and then it, somehow it became a computer word uh but <laughs> um, no, movie. Wow. i'm wondering if some programmers were from india i really do and that's how it got in there because i don't think it was accidental I mean, um you know it made sense because it's like okay here i am you can't see me but on the computer i'm going to have this image so it's mm-hmm. kind of an incarnation of you you know mm-hmm. and so um so anyway, so he's supposedly the avatar of the age of Pisces. That is, he manifested at a time when humanity was ready to learn the lessons of Pisces, which okay. were universal love, compassion, sacrifice. Okay. And they mm-hmm. say, look at Jesus. He's, that's what he did. You know, he lied, came to teach love. He sacrificed himself. He, of course, they don't, they don't say sacrifice for sins, mm. but you know, he sacrificed himself. He's t- teaching love. He was compassionate. And, you know, the sign of the fish was a sign used by the early church and Pisces is the sign of the fish. Oh. So like, see, it all fits together. Yeah, <laughs> I see how they would put that together. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, there's a way to do that. And I actually have an article on my website called The Piscean Jesus. It's an article I wrote for when I was in seminary. And um, I was writing, we had to write about a Jesus of the cults. And mm. then a uh, way to pick a Jesus from a cult, you know, some kind of cult. Um, non-Christian 
belief system and show how it was false, you know, compared to the real Jesus. So I asked the teacher who knew I had been an astrologer. He knew me if I could do it on the Jesus of astrology. And he said, yes. So it was my paper for that class. And so um, it's called the Piscean Jesus. And it's all about how Jesus is the avatar of Pisces in the new age and astrological worldview. But then I explain how it doesn't fit, you know, Mm -hmm. and how the concept of love in the new age, is not the biblical concept of love. And so I, I go through everything to show how Jesus is not the, you know, doesn't really fit the sign of Pisces, basically. Yeah. Um, so that's on that's on my website. Now, I also have an article on the age of Aquarius on my website. Okay. So now that we're going, so Jesus was here to purge. Pisces was a time of purging. And we had teachers, we had gurus, we had teachers, Jesus was a teacher. But now going into Aquarius, we're going from the outer teacher to the inner teacher. And supposedly, and so we become our own teachers within, we look for wisdom within, we become our own guide, and mankind is going to lose a lot of the divisions between man, gender neutrality Mm -hmm. is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So gender differences are supposed to be lessened in the age Mm -hmm. of Aquarius, and um, equality, everybody's going to be more equal. And we're all going to work together for the common good. And this is the idea of Aquarius, you know, and we'll have these revolutionary changes. Plus, mankind will develop powers that he has suppressed, that he naturally has, like psychic powers. So the age of Aquarius was look, you know, people in the new age and astrologers were looking forward to it because we knew we were coming close to it. Mm -hmm. You know, the year 2000 was kind of the general year when there would be the shift, you know, not exactly then. In fact, that was a big uh, thing of debate. Like when exactly are we going to be in the age of Aquarius? So that was a big topic of discussion, you know, among astrologers and new agers when I was in it. And um, I don't think anybody came up with a definitive answer, but I think that by now, by 2020, um, most people in the new age would say we're in the age of Aquarius. And then they would point to all these things and say, see, this is what we're seeing. Yeah. We're seeing people, um, we're seeing transgender, we're seeing people, uh, you know, having more equality with, you know, people who are, um, you know, gay or who want same-sex marriage is, mm-hmm. is approved of. And they see, they will point to all of this and say, and I think those were in the age of Aquarius. Yeah, yeah. The whole unity thing that you were talking about with the push yeah. for socialism right now within the political yes. sphere. Yeah. That's yeah. It's see, it all seems to fit and that will make yeah. people believe in this. It confirms their belief, right. but of yeah. course it's really just, you know, to me, I, I can see a lot of reasons why, of course, it's not true, because, of course, there's no such thing as the age of Aquarius. <laughs> and, of course, doesn't really mean anything, you know, except it's the name of a constellation in the sky, but it doesn't mm-hmm. have a meaning. Yes. You know? Yeah. But when you want to see patterns, you can find patterns. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there are a lot of things that are happening that don't have anything to do with Aquarius. So, you know, but they don't talk about that. They just look at the things that have to do with Aquarius. But this also, you had mentioned progressives and of course, the progressive Christianity yeah. is sweeping through the church. It is. It just whole churches are turning progressive, like almost overnight. Mm-hmm. And um, the progressive movement has been very influenced by the New Age. And do you want to do you want to maybe give some examples of how how what ideas are more progressive and um, how they exist inside the church? 
Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think there's a movement. There's definitely a movement away from the, seeing the Bible as the word of God. Okay, the Bible is seen um, as a a record of people's ideas about who God was or how they experienced God. Okay, now that's what a lot of progressives say. Um, there's a um, actually a Bible scholar named Peter Enns, E N N S, who has these ideas, and there's a lot of others, and they're very popular with some people. Um, so there's, there's that idea. And then the people who promote them have that idea. Um, like Jen Hatmaker is a big figure in the progressive movement who she used yes. to be seen as a more conservative Christian. And then, she, you know, she took a big shift a few years ago and approved of same sex marriage. And she's definitely in the progressive camp. She's a fan of Richard Rohr. Of course I could talk, do a whole show on Richard Rohr. He's a big um, influence on the progressive church. Hmm. The progressive movement came out of the emergence the emergent movement, which started in the 90s and developed in the early 2000s um, with Rob Bell and Brian McLaren and Tony Jones and several other people. Those They were called the emergence. And they were drifting away from sound doctrine and from the Bible as, as God's word. And they eventually became the progressives. But they were already in touch with Richard Rohr. So Richard Rohr was already influencing the emergent movement. And then when the progressive movement developed, like around 2010 or so, he was a big figure in that. Hmm. And so Richard Rohr, a lot of them love Richard Rohr because, of course, the Bible is not really God's word. It's the record of people as they evolve and how they see God. Um, he has this evolutionary view of mankind, too, which he actually gets from a guy who's not even a Christian named Ken Wilber. And Richard Rohr um, believes that the first incarnation of Christ was creation. Mm -hmm. So another view that we see in progressive Christianity is panentheism. And panentheism, pantheism is all is God and God is all. Yes. Panentheism is God is in all and mm -hmm. all is in God. Mm -hmm. So God is there, but there's an overlap with creation and God. Yeah. So we're all in God and God is in everything, but he's also distinct. Yeah. Um, and Jesus is usually seen as a, um, with progressives, as a, a man and not necessarily as God. Um, and of course, in the New Age, that's how he's seen too, as a wise spiritual teacher. And Rohr sees him, Jesus as somebody, the, the universal Christ was when Jesus, okay, it's so hard to say because it's so, <laughs> so I, much. Yeah, Jesus, you know, he acknowledges Jesus as a real historical figure. Okay. But Jesus was a way for the universal Christ to come in the flesh mm -hmm. because the universal Christ and Jesus are distinct. Okay. They aren't one and the same. Now, so Jesus was the universal Christ for a while, but then at the resurrection, the universal Christ was released, so yeah. to speak. And now the universal Christ is out there as a power that's drawing everything towards a point of perfection. This is partly based on some ideas of a man named Teilhard de Chardin, who taught about the cosmic Christ okay. and said that... Um, 
he was a, an evolutionary scientist. I think he was a paleontologist and he was a Roman Catholic. And he was trying to reconcile evolution with Roman Catholic teachings. Okay. And so he came up with this view of the cosmic Christ. And Richard Rohr um, refers to him a lot. And it's clear that he's patterned his this view based on Teilhard de Chardin. Um, and so the universal Christ, and that's why... Warb's book, last book, was The Universal Christ. I have an article on it on my website. He makes this very clear. You know, he says, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were about Jesus, but John and Paul wrote about the universal Christ. Mm-hmm. It's so it's interesting. so interesting how these ideas, they have some things right. Like, they are so close, but they have like little different parts of the worldview that just twist it just enough for it to not be to, for it to, you know, disqualify the gospel as the answer, basically. Right. And exactly. it just it reminds me of the verse. I think it's I think it's Colossians 2, 8, where it says, here, let me pull it up. Um See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. It's just so evident. Um, That verse just really hits me during this conversation. Yes. And that's another verse that was was refuting some of those Gnostic type teachings in the church. And, um, And of course, I always like to point out to people, it says philosophy based on man you know, based on man's ideas, because there's nothing yeah. wrong with Christian. You can have Christian philosophy. Mm-hmm. Philosophy is just, you know, ideas, a study of ideas. And you can mm-hmm. study ideas as a Christian and study Christian ideas, because yeah. I hate it when people put down <laughs> put down mm-hmm. things that shouldn't be put down. It's like, no, don't be an anti-intellectual Christian. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, I like, obviously you know, want to think about it, but so I want to think about it through the lens of what scripture decides right. exactly. is true. So it's it's philosophy based on the wisdom of man. Yeah. That verse yeah. is saying have nothing to do with. Yeah. And um, of course that would include, you know, all the things we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. war is a big influence on the progressive church and more and more people, I get a lot of private messages on Facebook from people whose pastor is starting to quote war, whose relatives are reading war and like him, whose mm-hmm. husband or wife is into war. And they're like, help. You know, like what's happening? I don't understand this. It is amazing. I have never seen so much influence from one person, one person in the church who's not a Christian. But it is perceived, I guess, as sort of a Christian because he is he is a uh, a Franciscan friar in the mm-hmm. Catholic Church, in case people don't know who he is. I don't know how much influence he has on your generation, but he's had a huge influence on millennials. In fact, millennials are supposedly his biggest audience. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are the ones who are the pastors and who are, you know, in leadership of the churches or getting in there. So, um yeah. So that so the progressive ideas, I think I I mentioned some of them. Mm -hmm. Of course, when you drift from the Bible's God's word, then you just open the door to all error after error after error. Who man is, who God is. Well, that's up for grabs. If you're not going to go by the Bible, you know, Mm -hmm. you can you can have different views. What is important? What is of value? That will change. Mm -hmm. And like you had said earlier, um, Grace, that, um, you know, 
the idea that I have to uh, do things for myself and I have to do this for myself now, that's very much in the new age because in the new age, it was always work on yourself first. You can't help other people until you work on yourself. That actually is a direct quote also from Stephen Furtick with Elevation Church. I was sent, I was sent a sermon by him the other day and, or, and it was, it was, yeah, like you can't, you can't love someone else until you learn to love yourself. And that's, this is, this is evident. This is, you know, concerning this is concerning but this yeah. is this very. is the christianity that my our generation is buying into i know this and it's very sad i mean furtick yeah. has quoted richard war oh, and gosh. he is his favorite preacher is td jakes who's not a christian because he's not a trinitarian wow i just did a big post on um i reposted a thing on furtick just a few days ago Mm-hmm. And um, and he also had Carolyn Leaf. That's another story. He had her at his church too, and she's bad news too. So, wow. yeah, he is misleading. And as a pastor, see, he is more accountable. Mm-hmm. He is yeah. more accountable to God because the Bible says in James, Teachers. "You're a teacher. You you know you are going to be held to higher yeah. standard." And that's a paraphrase, but uh, yeah. so you've got these kind of influences that are coming from the world and from the New Age and from Richard Rohr or whatever that are not biblical and it's undermining sound doctrine in fact to there's also uh, another thing i see with progressives is they make a distinction between um you know they try or they try to make doctrine a bad word um Mm. and the emergence did this too so doctrine is like when you're being dry and you're being legalistic and you know you're you're just you're just too uptight you know that's Mm. that's if you're doctrinal doctrine just means teaching yeah so you know holding to sound doctrine as we're told to do in the new testament means that you hold to the teachings Mm -hmm. that were given in god's word you know and that's all it means it doesn't mean that you're you're trying to be a legalist or something but they try to make it sound very very negative and they say you know they say things like well jesus wasn't about doctrine he was about love you know see so they make this Mm. distinction this false distinction between love and doctrine and so don't you want to be more for love you know you i i'm going to love my neighbor no matter you know what you know and as if you know christians can't love people who aren't (laughs) christians you know it's it's just they're making all of these false distinctions and they're redefining terms 